Do you remember how the intro goes? Yeah. Do you want to give the, try and give a run on the intro? No. Oh, come on, just do it once. <laughs> Welcome to the Truth Exchange podcast, where we discuss... I don't even remember. Yeah, that's totally what not how it goes. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm totally going to use that for as a bumper for this podcast. Thanks, Mary, for trying. Thanks for coming on the show. You're a real jerk. And I don't like Nickelback. Welcome to the Truth Exchange podcast, unique program where we have conversations about worldview, all through the lens of oneism and twoism. This lens is based on Romans 125. We have exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worship and serve creation, rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. I'm your host, Joshua Gilo, and today I have a very dear special guest to me. It's our dear Mary Weller, uh, who was a co-host on this program. And then she wound up leaving, and um, she went on tour with Nickelback. Welcome, Mary. That's totally not true. This is now going to be the first angry walk-off on our podcast. I'm going to throw down my headphones, and I'm out of here. And folks, that's why we're doing the symposium, the state of our disunity. (laughs) It is so good to be on. I told you before the intro when we were just chatting, but just so everyone's aware. Like, this is legit the first time I've been nervous on this podcast. It's been a long time. You should be nervous. I'm going to ask really <laughs> hard questions. Because <laughs> you have no idea how many people would be like, gosh, that Mary is so smart. And you are so dumb. They never say the second part, ever. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you in your mind, but... Yeah, no, it's so good to be on. This has consistently been one of the favorite things that I have done. Um, I I miss Truth Exchange. Like, I love what's going on right now, but I really miss doing this. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. But yeah, I've got like sweaty palms and jitters. <laughs> well, we have missed you, Mary. What have you been doing for the past couple of years? You, you, you took a, a break. Um, and now folks don't know that you are, you're back on a, a part-time basis. Um, you, you're, you're slowly working your way back into a type of operations, but, uh, uh, event management, but also you're going to be one of our speakers and we'll talk a bit about that later. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. Um, so I think some people who've listened to the podcast will recall, you know, I got married, uh, we have four kids. We are a blended family. And uh, pretty immediately after we got married, uh, the Lord opened the door for me to start homeschooling the kids and uh, shut every other schooling door that we kind of had open to ourselves. And so I have been with um, our four kids um, doing a hybrid homeschool program that's really heavily classically based. And um, I tried to do that and work for Truth Exchange part-time for, I think, the first year, and I just wasn't doing anything well. Um, and so at that point, I think Dr. Jones and I, uh, <laughs> I think I took an unspecified leave of absence, and he didn't want to lay me off. So we, we sort of, you know, it was like this unspoken agreement for a while um, so that I could concentrate on homeschooling. And the Lord really used that Joshua um I think to meld us in this blend um together in a way that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise um it let me get to know my two step kids really really well um it let the four kids who were going through this experience now starting homeschool experience something together so it melded them together um and it's brought a lot of conversation, uh, especially because it's such a humanities-based program, a lot of conversation where we started talking about things. And I found that my truth exchange experience really informed the way that we would sit down and whether they're reading Plato or right now, one of the kids is reading the Poisonwood Bible. Um, I don't know if any of our listeners are familiar with that book, but to really say it's Barbara Kingsolver, who I believe if I remember correctly, she is an atheist um, writing about an allegedly Christian family. So to be able to say, okay, well, what are the thoughts underlying how she's presenting this? What are the, who is the unmoved mover? How do we connect this, you know, these uh, Plato, I, Plato's ideas to uh, what, where's the truth? 
mm-hmm. and how do we connect that to the gospel? Um, having conversations about slavery, about the founding of the country, um, really getting to talk to the kids about how our Christian worldview, which we believe is objective truth, really informs everything that we do. And so that's kind of where I was for a couple of years. Um, And then I got to come on and help with a conference in Columbia last year. And as we all know, that was right as COVID was really starting to make its appearance. That was the first time I went through airports and people had face masks on. And so um, I think we as a ministry had intended for me to come on, I think, with more hours because we thought the kids would be in school more, but uh, the Lord had other plans. So I have been researching, um, I have been reading just because of current events, um, and I'm excited to be a part of what Truth Exchange is doing again, even in the small bits that I get to participate in. So you, you, you've, we've just mentioned the, uh, the upcoming symposium, uh, and I've mentioned it over the past couple episodes, but the, right. we have an online symposium in 2021, the state of our disunion, and this is how Dr. Jones framed um, the outline of the, of the symposium is, how should Christians articulate the deep truths of the gospel in today's caustic and hostile culture? Like never before, we're facing massive divisions within the culture and within the church. We're divided over how churches and beyond that, how businesses, schools function during COVID-19. Mm-hmm. We're divided over how Christians should vote. We're yeah. divided over uh, the extent of identity and sexuality. We're divided over issues of race and social justice. The divisions threaten charity and unity we knew in the past, which now provoke serious disunity and even expressions of sin. Such divisions go deep and threaten the state of biblical orthodoxy for years to come. Now we've got a lineup, a pretty, a pretty huge lineup of speakers uh, for this this yeah. year or the, in 2021. It, one being Pamela Frost comes back with on the topic of yes. globalism. Yes. Stephen Shavura, who is our Australian friend, he's going to be speaking on the Great Awakening. Dr. Jones, yeah. of course, on cultural Marxism. Cal Beisner, Ecology and the Green Deal. Mark Robinson on race issues. Jeff Ventrella on law and policy. John Harris, spirituality. Thaddeus Williams on evangelism. And then, of course, you. <laughs> I know. Doctor, what? doctor, doctor, researcher, mom. Yeah, mom. <laughs> Record scratch. What? And you're not speaking. And you're not speaking on our beloved topic of yoga. No, no. Thankfully, uh, <laughs> well, yeah. I, I feel like Pam gets me into a lot of trouble because, as I recall, she got me into the yoga trouble, um, and and she got me into this one too. <laughs> and you're gonna. So, and your talk is what? So my talk doesn't really necessarily have a title yet, but my talk is focusing on the importance of gender in the gospel. Gender. Um, Yeah. And the way that we think about gender um, in the culture and um, some of how this came up, and you know some of this, so I'm repeating this a little bit to you, but um, some of this, how how this came up was very similar to the way that the uh, yoga issue came up for me is that my kids were coming home from school, um, having had conversations, um, having had interactions with friends, um, where suddenly it became clear that no longer was the issue of gender um, theoretical. Uh, It had suddenly become a part of like the everyday conversation amongst my kids and therefore within our family. So, um, you know, some of the kids use social media, some of them don't. I think that that's a line that every parent, you know, has to walk. Um, There are kids at our charter school who um, some of them identify as gay. It tends to be a, a fairly conservative community of people. It tends to be a fairly involved set of parents who are in uh, this group, but it is not an overtly Christian school. Um, And so they were starting to have these conversations and um, 
the most striking day to me was the day when uh, I got a message from a mom who is lovely, a lovely believer, but who said, hey, um, my child told me that your family hates gay people and that um, and that at your church, if someone uh, who what believed that they were a woman that was a man came to your church that like you guys would hate them and tell them that they were going to go to hell. And that doesn't sound like you, but this is what I'm hearing. And so I, I just thought I'd ask you. <laughs> wow. And that, that is not the culture of new life Presbyterian church. at Not, all. I, not even remotely, not even remotely. And it turned out that, um, one of my boys who is 14 had had a conversation with one of his friends in sort of a public social media setting where, um, a lot of these kids were kind of, um, posting the rainbow flag and talking about their support of gay rights. And, um, he had said something along the lines of, um, I don't believe that we are supposed to hate anyone. I think we're supposed to love everyone, but some of these things, because I'm a Christian, I, I can't approve of. Um, and out of that, uh, other kids got really angry with him and started calling him homophobic and transphobic and kind of jumping in. And this melee happened um, between some of the kids who were believers and had said yes that they believed kind of in biblical marriage and things and and other kids who thought that that really meant like they really translated that to mean and therefore they are hateful people you know and it doesn't take long to look at the headlines to look at how things are presented you know when you have Westboro Baptist presented as um kind of like the cultural perception of what Christians are all about when it comes to LGBTQ issues um, it's not hard to see why a kid would translate what my son had said. Um, you know, we don't support some of these things. We're concerned about some of these things into he's a hateful person. So, I mean, I just remember sitting in the driveway, Joshua, you know, this text had come up on my phone and I was not very close to this, uh, mom at the time. I really liked her, but I, I didn't know what her stance was. And, oh man, did I start praying like, Lord. <laughs> How do I really like hold my ground and not compromise the truth of what we believe, but in a loving, comprehensive way, um, explain what we mean when we say that we have a biblical view of sexuality, a biblical view of gender, and that that is in our minds, and I think truthfully, a loving view. Um, and so that's where, you know, already because of my training with Truth Exchange, I had started thinking about gender. Um, you know, you go all the way back to like Bruce Jenner being voted as Woman of the Year. I think it was for, was it Time Magazine? I can't remember, but, um, uh, or maybe it was Sports, Sports Illustrated. But, um, and really thinking about, really? Like, he he's the Woman of the Year? I mean, he she, Caitlin, you know, like, so all of these questions are burbling around in our minds, like as a woman, I needed to think about that. So it had all been there. But now we find ourselves all these years later, um, having to have these conversations. And I just remember sitting in the driveway holding my phone, you know, I pulled in after picking up the kids from school, they had all kind of tumbled out of the car for that particular class day and thinking, Lord, what do I say? Yeah. Um, you know, and so that's where it really started to come home for us with these conversations. You know, that whole, you know, and, and you just, you just telling your story, Mary, which is just incredible. I mean, and what's funny is, is well, not funny, but the, the reality here is that you're talking to your 14 year old about this. Right. But right. I'm, I'm having to have this kind of conversation with an eight year old and a five year old. Yeah already and yeah. it's like what on earth have, have we come to and and you in your story you mentioned the whole Caitlyn Jenner and and you just kind of just now I mean you said him her you know and, and having to yeah. have that kind of conversation with a child who has no idea uh, uh, about right. the implications well, of that 
I know. And it really does make me think, Joshua, of the story of the emperor, uh, the emperor's new clothes. Right. Because, you know, within that story, um, you know, here these people convince this king that they've woven this magical cloth and it's so beautiful and he is dressed and everyone like is speaking the same words, speaking the same lie. They're all buying into it because they're scared. And who is it that finally says, oh my gosh, the king is naked. It's a little child because that little child sees truth and speaks truth. Like they don't think about like the implications of vocabulary. They, they say what they see. And then with that truth being spoken, everything comes tumbling down. The king is revealed to have been naked, not only naked, but, you know, having believed a lie, you mm -hmm. know, um, having convinced himself of the lie because other people were participating in it, but a little child just said what they saw. And so, yeah, it really is strange to have those conversations with five-year-olds and eight-year-olds. So you had this conversation with one of your sons and then boom, revival hits and, and this isn't an issue at the school anymore. At all. And we're very popular. There you go. There you go. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for being on the program. <laughs> and have a great day. Yeah. Totally. All I said, hi. <laughs> no, I really did turn into this um, several weeks long conversation because, um, you know, so my son's being called a transphobe and a bigot. Um, both of my sons have been outright full on, you know, told that they're bigots at this point um, for various, you know, ver over various issues. And uh, then distressed friends who are seeing this happening, going home and talking to their parents, uh, distressed kids who kind of know our family, um, but not really well going home and talking to their parents, you know, so there are all these perspectives, all of these conversations going on. And um, yeah, so it's, it's become an ongoing conversation that we've had to have. And why is this important? Because you know what, it's exhausting to them. Um, for all of our kids, I've started to realize that it really would be easier for them to just go with the flow on this. You know, and so as a parent, how do you tell them, no, this is important. And I know it's hard, um, but we have to speak truth. Like, how do you do that? Um, it's, it's ongoing and you have to encourage them and you have to get them truth. Um, how, so, how, yeah. how did you and, and Bob build that, that structure? You know, I had, I mentioned my eight and five and then I have a 10 year old and then I got a one year old, but, and right. And unless you you start now, you may not get tomorrow. So what uh, I'm right be, and being a true and, and I know Bob and I know you. You, yeah. you already had. I remember we were have we were joking about this. You know, ten years ago when I first came on staff, that the hermeneutic <laughs> is so easy. You know, even our, our babies get it. And, right. and so I know that you were already implementing, and this is super important, imparent, super important for parents to know and to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Start now. Don't wait till yeah. tomorrow. Start with right. the little things. So what kind of things, Mary, what kind of, what scripture, um, obviously you mentioned the hermeneutic, but what, what did you and Bob do as a team to, to kind of build that structure, to respond to some of these things? Um, can you yeah. give us some sort of like tangible, practical insight? Well, Joshua, if if I came and and told you what we did in some way, uh, as though I were any place in any place to give advice or <laughs> much wisdom here, I'd be a hypocrite. I never feel that we do enough. I feel like we're you know in a constant scramble to you know just put food on the table and get everyone to sit down uh, and and even have a conversation. But I know that um, first and foremost, I really do believe that scripture offers us a view of manhood and womanhood and roles that is kind, that is good, um, and quite frankly, that offers, I think, better answers to some of the cultural um, mistakes that we've made than any of the waves of feminism have. I think that scripture offers a beautiful balance 
um, to men and women, to husbands and wives about what our roles are. And so I very much believe, and Bob and I had conversations before we got married about uh, his belief too, that in his becoming my husband, he was becoming the head of our household. Um, and that I needed to be respectful of that. Um, and at the same time, though, I carry a very cherished, a very honored place as wife and mother in the home. Um, and I think that that's scriptural. I think it's been a mistake in the past where we've pointed a lot to the authority of the man in the home without reading a couple more verses in, you know, in Ephesians or, you know, wherever it is that we happen to be reading to see what the Lord says about how then husbands need to treat their wives. Um, you know, I understand that um, there have been authoritarian abuses and I think cultural misunderstandings uh, in the past about the role of husbands without the balance then of the, the cherishing of wives and their places help me and helper. I mean, you read the Proverbs 31 description of who a woman and a good wife is supposed to be and she's not like she's not a 50s housewife who, mm -hmm. you know, is like tied to the stove and, you know, no, she goes out, she participates in commerce, she uses her wisdom, she makes decisions for her household. She's this robust whole and therefore a beautiful woman. And so when we've had kind of these authoritarian misunderstandings in the past where I don't think that women were allowed to hold their proper roles as biblical women, I think feminism tried to come in and resolve that, but I, I would posit we didn't need feminism. Mm -hmm. We didn't need feminism to come in and tell us that we're all exactly the same. You know, put on your pants, scroll, go into the, you know, I mean, not that I have a problem with pants even. Some people do, I don't, but I'm just saying it's not that women needed to be more like men. I think we just needed a more robust understanding of what a biblical woman looked like. Mm -hmm. um, and so, in our home, therefore, uh, there are times when Bob and I disagree about things. We had a very distinct disagreement last night. Um, but there have been points where I have said my piece and I have to recognize like, okay, the Lord promises. And I, I think we experience this, especially as Presbyterians submitting to the wisdom of our elders also, you know, the Lord promises that he will guide my husband. I don't see it right now. I, I may not agree with it right now, but I've said my piece. I have been heard. He respects me and he hears me. And now I need to al allow him to lead. And sometimes that looks different from the way it would if I were in the lead, right? So I think that just really speaking about the differences in those roles and the value of those roles as best we can, um, I think that's a lot of what we try to do in our um, when we do read scripture and again, Joshua, you know, I wish we were more regular. We have a very cobbled kind of schedule. Um, we are a blended family. So we have kids who are in and out. We don't have a seven day a week schedule. Um, but reading through books of the Bible, really making sure that, um, we take on scripture as a whole so that we're not just pointing out a single verse out of context, you know, mm -hmm. praying with the kids about things when we don't see a resolution or we don't know how to talk about certain things, asking God for wisdom in front of them, yeah. with them. Right. Um, those are the things that we try to do. And like I said, um, I could even say, well, we don't do it perfectly and make you think like we're super close to perfection. We're not, you know, I like do. we are in this and I know you do. That's why it's so intimidating <laughs> to talk to you. <laughs> no, we, we just finished the book of Psalm and we started it two years ago. <laughs> I mean, we were favorite yeah. to go through it, but we were like, all right, right. we're just going to be quiet. You put that <laughs> down, lie down, take up put that toothbrush, what, what are you doing? You know, so, it's, so we just, we're like, right. a, we're only going to do five verses at a time. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Three. I know. And you know, it's interesting. I think you probably understand this from Bob, Bob's perspective too. Like I grew up in a Christian home. So I know that I used to stare right between my dad's eyebrows and like <laughs> tune out and think about 
you know, like whatever was going on at school and was scripture being read? Yes, it was. Could he force me to take it in and pay attention or to even look, you know, I mean, none of that happens, right? So for you and Bob, I think, um, you know, because he became a Christian as an adult. And so he wants to like provide that scripture to our kids because it wasn't provided to him. And I have to tell them sometimes, like, babe, they can try to block it out. They can look disinterested. You know, like, one of the kids is, like, playing with their hair and, like, one's, like, doodling under the table and all this different stuff. But God's word is living and active. Mm -hmm. And try as we might to tune it out, there is a blessing in having it read. Um, And I did find that as an adult, you know, um, having left the church and come back that all of that scripture, all of that time, all of the things that I didn't even really think I was taking in, they didn't bounce off my eardrums and hit the wall. They got into my heart and they had effect. Um, And so I think even with all the chaos and the five verses at a time, I think we all picture that we should like be sitting around the table and you know, it should be, I know, like the Shekinah glory should come shining down on and, and light the candles for us, you know, uh-huh. but no, nope. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So let's, let's talk, let's shift now. Let's talk about scripture. Okay. And, and what scripture, what's going to be uh, an anchor of scripture to start off your thinking and, and then, and then into going into the points of your talk. Okay. So when God created us in his image, he created us male and female. And I really think foundationally, um, we have to remember that before we remember anything else. And, you know, Joshua, it's really interesting because God spoke and created by the power of his word. And this is the thing that, I have found so fascinating as I've dug into, in particular, just the idea of who we are as men and women, is that as believers, we know that the creator God spoke and caused reality. So the the DNA that you and I carry, the substance of everything around us, every single creature um, that lives and breathes on this earth, the substance of who we are with spoken into being by the power of God's word. And what I'm finding the more that I dig into what's happening specifically with transgender ideation and ideology and therapy now, and what's happening in culture is that we as a culture are very much seeking to change reality by the power of our words. And so, um, you know, Going back to this idea of um, the emperor's new clothes and this little child speaking this one word uh, that undid the entire delusion uh, that everyone had created together. When you look at what's happening with this idea that um, if a man believes that he's a woman trapped in a male's body, then he is in fact a woman. Or if a little girl who's 12 years old decides that she is actually in fact a boy um trapped in a female body what the american psychological association um what gender activists um and what you know the experts of our time say is the correct thing to do is to affirm by our words that what they feel is true And so in a way, they are creating this identity for themselves. Um, And we, as a culture around them, are supposed to speak different words now. You know, so you think of that little kid who sees a man and so he calls him a man or hears a deep voice. And so he thinks he's speaking to a man but who sees all of these things that he just takes as simple truth. There are men and there are women. We're supposed to change that vocabulary and and change therefore the reality of the identity of this person by the power of our words but we can't and so then something very interesting happens culturally um for those of us who 
won't use different pronouns um, or who won't use different names to describe a person, you know, so I still, I, I struggle with like the Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner thing um, because ha has he changed into a whole different person? I don't see that truth. Like if we were to take and look at his genetic makeup, we have not changed him into a woman by our medical interventions, by our speaking of him, by a different pronoun or name. And so I feel compelled to speak that truth. I'm not trying to be rude. I just don't want to participate in this delusion by using words to describe what is not real. Um, and so what's interesting is the culture then says that I, as a believer, or anyone, you know, even if you're just a conservative or you're someone who, who is speaking out against kind of this movement and is concerned about the very real harm that is being done to people, I am told that my words are violent. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting, Joshua, because I'm not physically doing anything to that person. I'm simply speaking something that doesn't add into that ideation. And so I'm told that my words are violent. So God speaks things into reality. We cannot change those realities by our words. So we're supposed to participate in the delusion. When we don't participate in the delusion, we're accused of violence, which is used to be a physical thing, right? It's not that you can't harm people with your words, but now it's actual violence. And in order to help people along in this delusion that they can go into a, a different form of gender, Professionals are doing real physical violence. They are going in and surgically altering the bodies, not just of adults now, but in a lot of cases, adolescents. Um, they're giving double mastectomies. They're giving hormone blockers. They're doing things that I think that we could rightly describe as physical violence. It's irreversible, you know, to coin a book that I highly recommend, um, Irreversible Damage, we are doing physical irreversible damage to people in order to add to that delusion that they must have around themselves to believe that they are who they say they are. You know, um, and in talking about this, Peter had said at one point, you're right, because the question really is, who does God say that I am? Mm. Um, and in our culture, you know, what is a woman? Well, it's an XX, it's a person with an XX chromosome. It, it's someone who has a uterus and breasts. What is a man? It's someone who has an XY chromosome. Um, they have a bit, you know, it's scientifically very clear, but the response of the culture is, well, what is a woman? And suddenly yeah. we can't answer that. What is a man? Suddenly we can't answer that. And because we can't answer that, we think that we can be whatever we want to be. It, 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 it's a really interesting collective delusion it stops being interesting and starts being scary when you start to see the surgical and hormonal and psychological damage that we're doing in the name of this new ideology. You know, I, I have uh, three sons and now a daughter and, 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 a, yeah. and a fourth son on the way. Um, yeah. And when we, when we brought Tikva, our little girl home, <laughs> there was a game changer for the boys when diaper changing <laughs> took place. Right. She is different. She is different. Um, and, yeah. and so that was the first aha moment. Now, now that she's a year and a half, she's very active and her personality is just starting to, to bud. Mm -hmm. There's their new aha moment is she plays differently than we yeah. do. And yeah. <laughs> Most of that aha moment comes from me scolding them and having a board meeting with them. Um, <laughs> they, shot, they shall not touch my little girl that way and right house right. with her. So, yeah. so that's the, the other aha. Our bodies are, are unique and they, they tell the story. Um, yeah. I was, there's a quote by Christopher West. Um, in his latest book, Our Bodies Tell Us, or I think that's the, the title of it, but he, he says, uh, he mentions two passages, or one passage of scripture, one of my favorite psalms in Psalm 8, the heavens declare the glory of God. He mm -hmm. then says, our bodies declare the glory of God. 
Absolutely. What happens when when we embrace a transgender or any, any part of the LGBTQ view of the body? What happens when we embrace a, porno, a culture of pornography? What happens yeah. to the view of the body? Well, that's, an, that's going to put you on the spot. That's a, that's a fire question. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Uh, well, okay, so what I go to is that before he knit us together in our mother's womb, God knew us. So if he knows me as Mary, <laughs> I mean, obviously my parents gave me that name, but before he knit me together as a female in my mother's womb, he knit her together with that womb also. There is something about who God knows and loves who he created in my female identity. Um, and as a human, so male and female, there's something about us that declares the glory of God. There's something about us that bears the image of God. Mm. And so I, I didn't know the specifics of this question that you were going to ask me, Joshua. So forgive me for fumbling a little bit, but no, that's fine. What I keep thinking about is that when we try to change the, the gender of a person, mm -hmm. what I have found typically is that it's very piecemeal. So what I mean by that is that I am a woman, but I'm not, my, my form of dress, my long hair, uh, the fact that I wear makeup, like these are peripheral things there that those are not the things that make me a woman. There is something internal and whole mm -hmm. um, about how I am as a woman. You know, I um, I'll go back to the uh, the Bruce Jenner thing. What I found was that what I was looking at and being told who I was looking at and being told was the woman of the year represented to me some of the stereotypes that I find so frustrating about women, women as a woman, right? So I, um, I, I would like to look nice for my husband, but if he only liked me when I looked nice and not on the days when, you know, like I barely get out of my pajamas and, uh, and I have, you know, like crumbs on my shirt because I just survived with a house full of four children, like, there's more to me that he loves as his wife. There's more to me as a woman and my experiences as a, as a woman that have nothing to do with those stereotypes. So I feel like the wholeness of who we are, and I, I can't speak to that for you as a guy. I'm sure that there are stereotypes of men that men must present also. Mm -hmm. But I find that when I see a woman who is living as a man or a man who is attempting to live as a woman, what they're representing to me are the stereotypes of those things rather than the wholeness of those people. Because I've been a girl since I was born. I've always had a uterus. I went through puberty with a developing body. Um, I've always known that I had the capability of carrying children if that's what, if that's how God chose to bless me at some point. The fact that my brain is infused with more estrogen than testosterone makes me process things differently. I'm emotionally different from my brothers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you were talking too, even about like with, with Tikva playing with the boys, you know, I've got two girls and two boys in my home. They are very different people. I have a tomboy. You know, but it yeah. doesn't make her any less female. Like she likes to skateboard. She's out there, you know, like learning her kickflips. She's dropping in at the skate park. She likes to surf. Um, she likes to do all of these very rambunctious things. Well, that doesn't change the essence of her femaleness. Right. Um, so I feel like when we different pain tolerance, her her bone yeah. structure is completely different. Her bone structure is um, different, her 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 muscular. Uh, development is different, um, but there there comes a line that you, that has to be drawn, and and, and I'm thinking about the, something that has I've just I'm th over the past ten years about I've noticed at least in the news transgender folks signing athletes. up for yeah right for uh, sports mm -hmm. 
right? Mm -hmm. And I remember re reading an article a number of years ago. I don't remember the, the persons, but it was a man who, who said, I identify as a woman, and he joined the women's boxing, and he beat this woman, and he yeah, beat champion. I, I want to say that was um, MMA. It was like one of the, uh, yeah, and I she, think he fractured her skull. Yeah, I, it was that. the guy, yeah. he beat her, I mean, he it, it, it's evil template. it's evil to, yeah. to read her her she says i've never felt more violated yeah but you know and I, I just to say you know so my boys are 14 and i'm i mean uh, for people who've seen me in person they know this but i'm six feet tall i'm not by any stretch of the imagination a small woman you know i was an athlete i'm i am strong um but man there has been a change and even the way the boys can roughhouse with me you know because we play we hug we kind of like wrestle like there have but as that testosterone has kicked in as adolescence has kicked in for them i remember a distinct moment where my son not trying to harm me in any way like just played with me the way that he normally does and he kind of grabbed my arm and shook me i felt like there i felt like a rag doll mm. and we had to stop and I wasn't angry. I was kind of taken aback that we started to have that conversation. And so did Bob. Okay, things have changed now. You are becoming men. And so physically, you don't understand how much more powerful you are than you used to be. It was really, so to think of uh, that woman being in that fighting ring from that perspective, knowing just with my sweet son, kind of how jolting it was to feel the difference in his strength because he is becoming a man was mind-boggling i mean it was a game changer for us yeah it, yeah um so the so there are there are cultural issues at play that 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 i guess have a hand in definition defining what what is feminine what is masculine but scripture does too i mean and i I yeah. think of yeah. I think of passages where where Paul talks about that a woman's hair and I just say this is a balding man that the woman's <laughs> hair is is, is you know the the, the glory of, you know right. um the, in 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 the law there are passages that say that a man should not dress like in women's clothing um right. but some of these and those and some of those are 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 rooted in creation right and roles are there are, are that are rooted all within creation um yeah and, and, and even in the fall joshua yeah yeah i'm sorry i i'm very talky for someone who's yes. very nervous but um <laughs> no even in the fall uh you know you look at the curses that are given and i mean adam's curse is one related to the fact that he did not lead his life and two um has to do with the fact that he is the provider he is the one going out to work the ground and now it's going to be a struggle for him right and this is something i talked to bob about when you know he comes home from a day of work and he has just he just looks like he's been through battle you know not every day is like that but there are those days and it's like, babe, like you, the, the very ground is fighting against you. You know, that's part of the curse that men deal with and trying to provide for their families. That's a gender-based thing. Now with Eve, she's given hope because she is a woman who can bear children. And through her line, um, you know, by her womb, we're given hope that the Messiah is going to come. That's a gender-based aspect of what's going to happen. She's told that she's going to desire to have her husband's place. I've read lots of different um, translations of that verse, but my, so the, the very unauthorized Mary version of that is like, she's going to want his role and he's going to rule over her. And I, my goodness, do I see that happen in our home where um, I, I have a powerful personality and there every day I find myself having to fight 
that desire to kind of step into the driver's seat for Bob and be like, here, I'll do this. I could do, I could handle this better. I'm, you're doing that differently than I would. Um, all of that has to do with gender roles. Mm -hmm. But then the hope that we're given also has to do with gender roles, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, and, and I don't think that it's a mistake by any stretch of the imagination that when God took on flesh, he took on the form of a, a man. Mm -hmm. um, we refer to him as a father. And that's not to say that there aren't aspects of God where, you know, God nurtures us. He holds us under his wing. You know, there, there are these mothering aspects of things that he is presented as the heavenly father. Mm -hmm. uh, these are not gender neutral roles. Um, and so I do think that that's really important for us. That's really good. Mary, we are out of time for the podcast. Thank you for being a host or you're not the host. Thank you. Um, I, no, I'm going to step into that role, Joshua. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for being a guest on the truth exchange podcast. This won't be the last time. I don't think. Um, I hope not. <laughs> and yeah. i hope this i feel like i've just rambled a ton i mean welcome to the inside of my brain as i um you know as i sort through some of this in the hopes of it wasn't rambling I, and and um you know i just i was just going to tag on to the last part there of what you just said which is about that that god chose to become a man and that's also going back on to the importance of the body and he chooses to yeah. do so. And now the, the second person, the Trinity for all the rest of eternity is chosen to, to be flesh amongst yeah. us. And yeah. as we prepare for um, coming up into Advent season, I mean, that, that God says something that he chose the importance of his coming is in flesh. Whereas the cultural, progression right now is to is to reject our 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 chromosomes and to reject our yeah. bodies and to just be like it do whatever you want i mean the pornography industry and and the oh, sex trade industry slave trade industry um it's a total degeneration of what is good um well it, it is and and so here this could be an entire another podcast episode so i will not launch on this the way that i want to but we're also forcing it on our children. Mm. This is the thing that has been so disturbing to me um, as I've researched is that, you know, in the name of this ideology, we are physically harming kids in ways that they cannot ever come back from. And, and we do it in the name of helping them. But again, where it comes with this like word and physical deed reality of what's going on here, you know, I'm still in California, you escaped. Um, but, you know, we're in the process of passing rules that now because in public schools, uh, girls can go off campus without the knowledge or consent of their parents to receive birth control pills. Uh, they decided that we were discriminating against LGBTQ students, specifically transgender uh, students, because we were denying them essential hormones. So the birth control pill is a hormone, and therefore they made an equivalence with like testosterone blockers uh, so that kids can receive these chemicals. It, it, essentially, it's a a chemical castration and I can get further into some of this later on but without the knowledge and consent of their parents now you think back to who you were at 13 or 14 years old I think back to who I was in junior high and <laughs> talk about being uncomfortable in your body I was six foot by the time I was you know in high school but think about your ideas of yourself and who you were and how much has changed so there is a growing group of people trying to speak out. They won't be heard because, again, their words are violent. But who thought that they were transgender were encouraged into taking these chemicals. Uh, for girls in particular, it's a double mastectomy um, in, in the hopes of having like a male chest. 
So they wear these chest binders that can harm them, especially as your breast tissue is developing. Right. And you have milk glands and all of these different things. And then some of them getting double mastectomies who later on realize, no, I was wrong. Like I, I got caught up in the peer pressure, the group things that were happening, but I really am a woman. They cannot reattach their breasts. Yeah. They cannot untake those hormones. And yet in the name of this philosophy, we have done these things as a culture to these children. Mm-hmm. And um, I said I wouldn't launch them, and I just did. But there is so much more to this. So in, in trying to even write the outline for what I'm wanting to do for this talk, it's like I'm having to reject other talks. There's so much to it um that we really need to understand because Mm -hmm. we are doing this to our kids yeah so jeff jeff and the uh the uh the podcast that i did with him on on law and public policy um i don't know let's see this this is going to be aired next week but i don't think that that so no one will have heard it so i'm going to just the teaser is jeff said you may not like the culture wars uh, and not want the culture wars, but the culture wars want you. And I've, I've, I've always, and I've always said, um, when talking to other parents about the importance of um, catechizing your children, and whether whether you you know use the Westminster Heidelberg or use one of the newer versions, it doesn't matter. Or if you just simply say, "I'm going to teach my children the word," you better do it, or else the devil will. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That is absolutely true. Um, we do not live in a neutral environment at all. Um, and it's, but for our confidence that God will accomplish the work that he's begun in us, Mm -hmm. I would, I mean, I have struggled with fear in, in reading all of this and seeing all of this. I mean, even and hearing Joe Biden speak to this mom, and, and this is the other thing, clearly distressed, clearly a loving mother, but who believed that her eight-year-old was in the wrong body, you know? And um, I mean, it's it's there and we have to deal with it. And if we don't deal with it, yes, it is gonna deal with us and it is not pretty. Yeah. Mary, thank you for being on the program. Thank you, Joshua, I love you guys. This concludes our episode of the Truth Exchange Podcast, a unique program where we have conversations about worldview all through the lens of oneism and twoism. Be sure to drop us a line, let us know how you think we're doing, or let us know about anything that you would like to see us address in upcoming episodes. Remember, this podcast is only made possible from friends like you.